Opinions expressed by this podcast are not representative of our workplaces, families, friends, enemies, pets, or other entities that may associate with us, despite our opinions. Get social with the Unelectables. You can find us on Twitter at Unelectables. And on Facebook at Unelectables Pod. somewhat reluctant, but nevertheless resolved to present Alberta Votes 2019. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Unelectables Episode 6. This is the third of our special election episodes. I am Joey Oberhoffner, the Enlightened Savage. With me, as always, is my co-host, Kirk Schmidt. How you doing, Kirk? Oh, not bad. You? Oh, not too bad. How was your time away? Um, I was not tuned into the Alberta election at all, and I feel like I found the Fountain of Youth. I envy you so much right now, you have no idea. Um, it has been an eventful couple weeks since we recorded last, uh, to put it mildly. Um, it feels like it's been about 500 days, but we're going to do our best to recap at least the most relevant stuff, because by the time this episode hits the interwebs, um, the advanced polls will be uh, ha- have been open for three days, four days, I guess, and we're going to be just a couple short days from the election. We're in the home stretch. That's what I hear, but, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. Okay. Well, at least we're going to know very quickly after the polls close that there's a winner and who that winner is, right? Uh, you'd like to think that. Unfortunately, uh, with with Elections Alberta, uh, well, fortunately and unfortunately, let's, let's put it that way. So Elections Alberta has now these vote anywhere advanced polls, which are amazing because mm-hmm. you can go anywhere. I know they've set them up. I, I heard they set them up at airports. Um, they've set them up at malls. They've set them up at public locations. You can just go and vote and get it taken care of and they will ship your vote out to where it needs to go. 
And we talked about this in our last episode, and it's been really successful, at least for the first few days of uh, of advanced voting. So here's how successful it ha- how successful has it been. Um, so roughly thirty um, percent of uh, all votes cast so far, in fact, thirty one and a half percent, have been cast in um, in ballot boxes that will that will eventually go to a centralized location. Or counting. The problem is that that central counting will not happen on election night. So we're going to have to wait for those to be counted. Now, day three results are in. Um, it is right now 9, 11 p.m. And when I checked this like 10 minutes ago, it wasn't there. So this is breaking, of course, by the time that we hit the airwaves, uh, it won't be. Breaking news. Breaking news later. So it turns out that day three... Um, was almost as successful as days one, one, two. So day one had 140,000 votes. Day two had 136,000. Day three had 127. I, I was saying off the air that, you know, if we assume that it's down to about 100,000 on day five, then we have so many, so many votes, and it looks like it's kind of trending that way. But interestingly enough, so, so when we talk about this post-election counting, uh, currently there are 127,000 votes that have been cast in the riding uh, or the in the vote anywhere area, mm-hmm. and if we break that down, if if we looked at the average per riding, the likelihood is that it's not going to you know you're probably not got, getting a lot of people from Wetaskiwin voting in downtown Calgary. So I you know it's it's not going to distribute equally, but assuming it did, you know you'd have about fourteen hundred and fifty votes uh, per riding right now. That are in the vote anywhere, and and you know if if we were to continue kind of down uh, the path, you know we're probably looking at 180,000 votes cast for anywhere, um, so probably on the order of a, of about 2,000 votes per riding. No. Um, so what's going to be really interesting on election night is, you know we ha- there are a lot of there are a lot of uh, ridings that tend to be within you know a thousand votes and if there's two thousand votes outstanding on average per riding uh we're probably not going to know who the government is on tuesday or wednesday okay so if you're a candidate in a riding that's being hotly contested or the uh, uh family member of a candidate you would uh, suggest what whiskey jeez i you know i don't even know what i suggest for multiple days <laughs> Um, uh, maybe, uh, absinthe? I don't know. Uh, it'd take you at least a day and a half to wake up from that. There you go. There you go. Um, so this we is... We, we don't, of course, we don't condone drinking, uh, excessively, and we want you to drink responsibly. Um, so, you know, don't do that. <laughs> exactly. Now, the fact that so many people are voting ahead of time, do you think that this is primarily because of the convenience, as you said, they're at airports, these these vote anywhere uh, at airports, at shopping malls, there's one in South Center in Calgary, I know. Um, is it just that it's more convenient and people have always wanted to vote, but now they're able to? Or is it that um, uh, there's there's a groundswell of people who feel compelled to go to the polls early and make sure that their votes cast either because they they want to reelect the government or because they feel they want to replace the government. What uh, what is yeah. usually the case when advanced polls are busy? Is that good news for the incumbent? You know actually I don't actually know. I I, I would love to say that oh yeah, it's always this case. I don't actually know the history. 
Um, I've actually never really looked at the, you know, the correlation of you know whether or not we have a high advanced vote uh, versus party win. I think advanced vote is to some degree relatively new in the provincial arena here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's really hard to say. Now, of course, we had this massive amount of advanced votes in 2015. We had 235,000 advanced votes, and we all know how that turned out. Um, so, you know, to to some degree, one might say it favors change. Um, you know, if if the Twitter echo chambers are to be to be believed, then you know, then uh, this is great for. The opposition for for the UCP, um, of course, it could be really great for the "I'm with Rachel" people who just do not want to see Jason Kenney or the UCP elected. I think I think there's a lot of it. I I think both sides are highly motivated to go to the polls. I think they both see um, philosophically a an end to Alberta as we know it if uh, the other team wins. Mm-hmm. So I think there's motivation on both sides, and then. The convenience just adds this other level that we've never had before. I mean, I can't, I can't remember a single time outside of when I was a university student where I could vote uh, somewhere for another riding. And, and in university, it was simply because, uh, because of, of being a student to the, to the vote. Right. It used so, to be the only way to do this, really, was to get a mail-in ballot, Right. Short of driving to the home constituency and casting it there, and and there were a few issues with mail-in ballots back in the early two thousands. So um, mm-hmm. <laughs> we've moved away from that a little bit. Yeah, uh, probably with with good reason. Vote but, security but yeah, has been so, in the news lately, so and we'll probably get to that too. But I mean, if the Twitter echo chamber was to be believed, Kirk, um, Premier Greg Clark would be negotiating over pipeline access with President Bernie yeah. Sanders right now. So you can't take everything you see on Twitter uh, at face value. In fact, I read an interesting statistic just today that um, they estimate that one in three people talking about politics on the Alberta election hashtags are are bots. One in three. That, that doesn't surprise me at all. Or or sock sock puppet accounts or what you know whatever you want to you want to classify them as. I guess, I guess the question is you know whose side does does advance vote favor. And I don't know that there's an answer to that, especially in this election where it is highly divisive. And, you know, as I said, like they, if you talk to an NDP voter, you know, a strong NDP voter, they're looking at this like Jason Kenney will bring about the end of the world. Mm-hmm. And but, but if you talk to, to strong UCP candidates, very strong, you know, libertarian conservative candidate, uh, you know, you, you're 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 hearing the opposite that that. The NDP being government for another four years is the end of the world. So it's not like sitting here in an election going, yeah, we hate this party, but, you know, like, okay, they, you know, they do their their thing. I mean, it's being seen as kind of, we are determining the framework for Alberta for however long. Now, that kind of divisiveness, and I mean, I've been moderating some forums this past week, and I've also been paying attention to what's been going on at some of the other all-candidate forums, and um, I mean, we've had forums where shouting matches have broken out, uh, and we've seen this kind of uh, polarization uh, down south in the United States. We've seen it to a lesser degree, but it's certainly increasing in our federal politics as well here in Canada, and now it's extending to our provincial politics 
there seems to be no opportunity for a middle ground. You are either with me or you are my sworn blood enemy until the day one of us dies. Is that kind of polarization inevitably going to lead to a situation where suddenly we have people who are just not accepting election results? I mean, I've already read things online where people say Elections Alberta is messing with the process in order to favor one party over another. Is this is this the new normal? You know, it, again, this is this is where the echo chambers come in. I I think I think you're always going to have some uh, individuals on all sides, and and yes, to anybody listening who doesn't believe it's their side, it is all sides. Uh, there are people on all sides who are going to have uh, extreme beliefs and are going to vilify anyone who who might even have some semblance of legitimacy around this if it means that their side loses. So I'm not sure that it's I'm not sure that it's it's necessarily a much larger problem than it has been. The the difference is uh the you know for lack of a better term the democratization of, of voices, right? Uh, there's kind of this equal weight placed on opinion and if you end up in the right echo chamber, you you can effectively amplify it with, with common voices. So people who, who have these very extreme views have the ability to seek out other individuals with those same extreme views and to come off looking like a larger group than maybe is is around. At the same time, the, the divisiveness and and the the vilification of each other's sides is only making things like it, you know, not so much on, on say the extreme views, because I think those were always there, but I, I think there's there's very much a level of this you cannot be a good person if you vote a particular way, uh, which I don't feel that there's ever been that level of it in in Canada. I, you know, it, it's it's certainly something that we've seen in the U.S. We've we've watched it grow in the U.S. Um, but certainly in terms of this, you know, you you can't possibly support the LGBTQ community if you support the UCP, um, which you know whether or not you want to hold that is a truth or not. The the fact is that that those statements are being made and with such um, such absolute. It's disconcerting, right? Mm-hmm. Because we're we're seeing people who I think were more tolerant of other sides to a degree um, going through that process, and and whether whether that's because uh, people are philosophically seeing these differences or not, I don't I don't know. I don't know if this is just because of years of politics that has just grown us there, but it certainly feels it, it feels rougher. But you know, you you and I have watched this this happen. Plenty of times before. I mean, you you know, there was a. You remember I had a bit of a Twitter tiff uh, quite a few years ago when I was running get out the vote for one of the uh, candidates for a party that was not my party, not the party I held membership in, um, and I was getting all sorts of vitriol from an individual because I am now the enemy and blah blah blah. Right. Right. Like, so, so, so this has existed for a while in, in terms of political circles, but I feel like it's it's stretched out past uh, the the political the politically engaged. 
Well, and and the same thing happened to me just in this past week on Twitter, right? Um, where I just said, you know what? I'm I'm happy to see Lawn signs up for a friend of mine who's running for the United Conservative Party. And immediately I started getting just carpet bombed with responses from somebody on Twitter saying, so your friend supports a monster. How can he be a good man? You know, <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, you know, and this guy was trying to debate me and make me defend the United Conservative Party. And I said, well, that's not really what I was going for here. I was just saying, you know, I like my friend and he's a good guy. But, you know, if you really want to debate the policies of his leader, maybe you should reach out to him and not to me because I don't have a dog in that fight, really. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's there's a lot of vitriol out there. I hope that post-election everybody can come together. But based on the example we've seen down south, I don't know how likely that is. I'm not saying that we're on the verge of a civil war, but if you look at the polls, and we're going to talk about the polls later, um, there's a very real divide between urban and rural and between north and south in this province if the vote goes the way that the polls are suggesting. And I'd hate to think that we're going to be in a situation where we have parts of the province that are just completely dismissing the concerns of the other part because they don't happen to buy into the same political party. It's a it's a, an unfortunate direction, and I believe that the seeds for this were sown so so long ago that getting out of this, you know, like um, I forget what the quote is, but it's something to the effect of you know if if you spend a certain amount of time. Uh, convincing somebody of, of something, it, it will take you twice as long to unconvince them. And I, I know the quote is something more about, about uh, personality, but but I think, you know, we've, we've watched the deterioration of this. I'm going back to when the PC party was in full power and, you know, going back to Huntsberger and Leach days and farther than that, I mean, this vitriol has been building over years and this us versus them mentality. Um, so, you know, it's, it's going to be really hard to walk back, especially after election day. And especially because the leaders themselves have been so vilified uh, for good or bad have been vilified this election. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, um, it's it's going to be basically impossible to walk back some of the things that have been said about some of these leaders. I mean, if Jason Kenney is the premier-elect after the 16th of April, we've got a lot of people who've gone on the record saying this guy's a homophobe and a racist and a bigot and all kinds of things. Now, I'm not saying those things, and I don't necessarily believe those things, so please don't sue me. But people have said those things and it's really hard to reconcile statements like that with saying but i'm going to give them a chance right <laughs> like once you've gone there you can't unring that bell and um it's going to be really difficult to see how things go and and you know, likewise with Rachel Notley right i mean a lot of people are saying that that Rachel Notley's one and done that she's been terrible for the province if she somehow finds a way to pull this out, and it's not impossible, nothing in Alberta politics is, then we're going to have a lot of people who are standing around going, well, I basically said that my business would go belly up if she was reelected, and here we are. So I guess I should stop trying? Like, it's, it's, it's hard when things get this heated. 
yeah, so we're we're gonna see what happens. Um, you know, it we've never had a minority government in Alberta. Um, and the way the polls have been trending, the way seat projections might be looking, things like that, um, we might be headed to a minority government. And and so what might be really interesting is uh, where the balance of power will be as well. Um, you know, and, and, and it's very possible to have a majority too. Like, I don't, I don't want to say that, that, oh, we're going to a minority government. Like, you know, it would be stupid of me to call Alberta politics after all the experiences I've had. Mm-hmm. But, but certainly in terms of, of where we are from a numerical standpoint, from a polling standpoint, um, it's possible. It's very possible that we have a minority government. And then we've got, you know, these other parties that uh, have been kind of sitting on the side and, and like what we've talked about, they put out good policy to some degree. And they've been they've been kind of you know outside of this this battle of the titan, um, who may actually end up holding a significant amount of power on election day. Well, you only have to look west to see that writ large, right? The the BC Greens have what three seats, but they hold it could be four maybe. Uh, they hold the power in the BC legislature more so than the New Democrats who form the government because the NDP and the Liberals are basically tied. I think they're separated by one seat. The Liberals have one more, but with the Greens, the NDP hold the government. Um, So basically anything the Greens want, the New Democrats have to give to them or the government will fall. Likewise, if we look at provincial polling numbers, nobody's expecting the Freedom Conservative Party to win 45 seats. Nobody's expecting the Alberta Party to win 50 or 60 seats. But if the Freedom Conservatives won two seats, or the Alberta Party won three, suddenly you've got a situation where that could be the difference between being the government and being the opposition. And now you've got Derek Fildebrandt or Stephen Mandel sitting in the catbird seat. Well, I mean, and, and let's look at it objectively. I mean, Greg Clark, uh, he has some very talented opponents right now, mm-hmm. but, you know, he he is the incumbent. Um, you've got um, Rick Fraser. Yeah. Uh, he, there, there's another incumbent going in. Uh, we've got Stephen Mandel, who, you know, ideally a leader wins his seat. Mm-hmm. Uh, when when they're running, so well, he's three... popular in Edmonton, uh, Calgary Mountain View, the only real four way race in the whole province, as Angela Cocott, who's a popular former broadcaster. Right. So, I mean, there's three, four seats right there. Liberals have have some opportunities still. I mean, David Kahn is a very compelling candidate. Mm-hmm. I I hear now. I was I was out in the middle of the Caribbean. You sea missed when, the when, best part of this election. Happened. <laughs> but, but I I hear that he's he's laid pipe. He has um, laid pipe, and he is a constitutional lawyer. Those are both things we know I, about David Cobb. But but he is a he is a compelling individual, a compelling candidate. Um, you know, it's possible that he wins a, his seat. It's possible the Liberals win another seat. Uh, it's very possible that Derek Fildebrandt wins his seat in uh, in Airdrie. There. Well, now well, Chester Mayor Strathmore. Or sorry, Chester Mr. Strathmore. Yeah. Um, so so we're talking about six, seven seats already that might hold balance of power, and and you know it, they're all over the map too, right? Like in terms of of where they sit, you've mm-hmm. got the Freedom Conservatives who are going to be closer, closely aligned 
with UCP on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. You've got the Liberals, who are probably going to be closer aligned with the NDP on a number of things. You've got the Alberta Party, who's very centrist. They could um, go either way. But, I mean, can you imagine a situation where the New Democrats are being held in government by the support of Derek Vildebrandt and the FCP? <laughs> I mean, it's it sounds ridiculous, but six years ago, the notion we'd be talking about whether the NDP could hold on to government in Alberta sounded no less ridiculous. So anything yeah. can happen. Anything can happen, and the likelihood is that we will not know on election. Well, I know that we are hoping to do something special for election night. Stay tuned to our Facebook and to our Twitter feed for information on that as we uh, get confirmation. We are in talks with... Uh, one of the uh, best crews in Calgary to see if we can uh, we can join them for their election night. So we will uh, keep you folks posted on that. But uh, it is going to be a long night and or a long week and or a long month. So I'm investing in Red Bull. <laughs> All right, Kirk. So moving on to another subject, it seems like the subject that just won't go away, despite the fact that there have been lawsuits filed to try and make it go away, at least during the course of the election. And this is the, well, the election commissioner investigation, I should say, uh, which has led to an RCMP investigation, which has been bolstered by a CBC article that just came out in the past couple of days. It's the never-ending story about the United Conservative leadership race. Have you uh, have you caught up on this since you got back? Yeah, I've I've caught up. Uh, so what's going been, on? <laughs> I mean, first of all, we've got the quote-unquote kamikaze candidate situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked about this on a previous podcast, um, including, you know, some of the tweets we'd made at the time where, where you observed that, that it seemed to be a kamikaze candidate at the time. Um, so of course there is more, more information coming out and more evidence to suggest that money was filtered through individuals to the campaign and that, you know, there's more and more evidence that, that yes there there was some sort of campaign coordination to some degree in this case and and in the case that, that we're going to talk about next um, I should point out right away that in in neither of these has have I seen any implication of Jason Kenny himself now you know politics is one of those things where where there's always a phone time uh, so you know it's it's the type of thing where where you know there are people who, who definitely believe that Jason Kenny knew um, but it, it should be noted that, that I have not seen anything at this point to actually implicate Jason Kenny, um, but that there was some funny business going on. Right. We know now, about the Kamikaze candidate. We've, now, we've talked to be to be honest, I would be absolutely gobsmacked if there is any evidence that Jason Kenny was directly involved. I don't care if he was standing in the room when it was being discussed. Jason Kenny is too smart a politician to put something in writing like that. Yeah. Um, oh, for sure. So he is, I mean, the, the presence or lack of evidence is not something that people should get hung up on because I'm telling you now, you're not going to find something that substantively links Kenny directly to this. It's just not going to happen. He's not Donald Trump. He's a careful political operator, and he's been doing this for a very long time. He's not going to leave a trail. So so the other the other is the UCP leadership race online vote. So basically what has been alleged and there are um, there are now um, 
Can I call them voters? I don't think I, I don't think I can call them voters. You can call but them in- people who were recorded as having cast a vote. <laughs> that's highly that's highly specific. Um, so so there are individuals who seem to have been registered to have voted and have cast a vote on the system and do not believe that they cast a vote or or a leader in the leadership race. Now, this goes deeper because, of course, there are a number of email servers that no longer exist that were created, um, and and a lot of people theoretically registered to these email addresses that are on these email servers, and those email addresses were used to get their uh, their pins. The way the way a lot of these online voting systems work is you get a pin. And that is your unique identifier to allow you to log into the system, which is then which is then scrapped via cryptographic protocols, so that you know they can't theoretically track uh, who voted for whom. Um, but effectively, they they go through and, and they they put in these pins, and then they can vote. And then, of course, we had heard much much earlier, many many weeks of VPN connections being created. Uh, at the time, it was stated that you know they were doing this for things like old old folks' homes, so that you know lots of individuals could vote at the same computers because there was restrictions on the online voting system, so that more most so that a lot of votes couldn't come from the same uh, physical location. Mm-hmm. So so VPN servers were set up so basically uh, that gets around that protocol. So at the time, it was you know we're going to seniors' homes and things like that. Um, now, the party it's like, itself didn't have polling stations, right? So the VPN servers was a, a thing that was set up so that the, the candidate campaigns could go do that. But if people went to a physical location and voted in this leadership race, it was a physical location that was being run by one of the candidates. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't a party voting location like previous conservative leadership votes. Um, and, and at the time that this all started hitting the fan a few months ago, Jason Kenney came out and said, yeah, well, we used VPNs, but so did everybody else. And Brian Jean almost immediately popped up out of the woodwork and said, neither I nor anybody in my campaign ever used a VPN. So if you went to a physical location and you cast a vote, that was a physical location that was being run by team Jason Kenney. Yeah. So, so, you know, all of this. The evidence seems to suggest that somebody may have registered an individual to vote online using email addresses that they made up on servers they controlled so that they could put in on in pins and use VPNs to cast those ballots. Now, now they, the, the uh, accusation is that this was the Kenny camp. Kenny side, of course, is kind of, they're kind of doing the, the, um, the shotgun... Uh, defense approach, which is the one we didn't do this, and two, even if we did the did this, you know, Jason Kenny won by seventeen thousand votes and had over sixty percent of the vote. So that there's a question to the legitimacy of a number of votes in the election. Um, the argument then is, does that matter? You know where I stand on those types of of questions, but but of course, you know, I'm trying to be more general and and. Be, be a little bit more objective on this but certainly it, it's it's kind of you know even if there was effectively a hacked vote because this is what that is right mm-hmm. uh this this is this is hacking in its in its most common form which is which is um actually going after 
individual processes and and destroying those. Um, so this this is very much a hack. Um, now whether that hack was enough to give somebody the leadership might be in question. And then I don't even know how that works with the legislation in terms of leadership racism. So right. well, let's be crystal clear on one point, which is if the United Conservatives have any say whatsoever in what happens uh, as a result of this investigation, no matter what it shows, and I mean that quite literally, no matter what it shows, the United Conservative Party is not going to invalidate that leadership vote. They're not going to say, on second thought, Jason Kenney did not win. Right? This is nope. his party. Everybody in any position of authority in that party is completely 100% on Team Jason Kenney. It's 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 from soup to nuts, the party of Jason Kenney. So th the United Conservatives are not going to do anything unless the law compels them to do something about this. And I don't know that it does. No, and, and, and I think that's, the, that's why we're seeing it come out in the vote. I mean, you know, it's the type of thing where, you know, we've, we've certainly seen people pull some stupid crap in campaigns. And it's the type of thing where... If there's nothing you can do legally about it, and there's nothing that it will change, then the only possible time where it's worth pulling out that information that you know is an election. Because it speaks and to it, trust, right? It, it says to the right. voter, this person might not be trustworthy, and you should really think long and hard about whether you want them involved in the day-to-day -day, uh, passing of legislation and laws. You know, it's, it's one of those things. And... And I know, you know, I might as well bring it up right now because you you tease me every every podcast, right? What do you tease me with, Joey? Well, there's the fact that you're the second best looking unelectable, um, but that's just science, right? I mean, there there have been studies done on that. Um, but I do ask you the same question at the end of every podcast, and I'm going to keep doing it. Uh, it's online voting. A great idea or the greatest idea? So, and I think the UCP, whether or not this affected the results in the end, um, provides us with a bit of a roadmap as to what the actual attack is. So, most people think of hacking in terms of, you know, that um, the the TV or movie hacking where, where you know, the guy's sitting, you, you know, usually... The, Guy or, or girl, and in, in fact, you know, a lot of fantastic hackers are are women. Um, they they're sitting at these these computers, looking, um, you know, looking all cool, drinking wine, um, you know, music's blasting. You know, they got their headphones on. Yeah, there's and, always you know, like EDM of, going. and you know, one of them declares, "Okay, I'm in." The fact is, that's not what happens. Uh, you know, so many. So many security breaches are about um, about the individuals, right? And and you know, there's a really great comic that talks that that talks about what real hacking looks like, and it's it's like one guy on a phone to somebody else going, uh, "Yeah, this is uh, Bob Hackerman from IT. Um, you need to reset your password. Can you please give me what your password is?" You know, and, and that that's really what a lot of hacking is, is 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 patience and and using the users to get in. 
and that's what we're seeing. That, like the the whole idea of this security of online voting. Like, I have no doubts that the the companies that run these are spending an insane amount of money protecting their servers. In the end, it's about can you spoof email addresses? Um, I can tell you for sure that a political party that used online voting somewhere in this country, um, I know that the company that they were using, the email address that came from the company, the, the official email address that came from that company uh, could be spoofed. That is, you could create an email that looks like it's coming from them um, and and without technical expertise, you wouldn't know that it was them. Um, so you could use that to give people links to the wrong places. You could use that so that you can get their information to put to to get the pins. There's all sorts of things you can do, and the UCP's leadership race seems to have demonstrated that. Seems to have demonstrated that there's these processes that are are vulnerable. It's and, almost been a test case in how to hack. And, and the thing is, they, they might be able to fix some of these, right? They might be able to fix the way that they get emails from people. But again, people will spoof email addresses. People will create um, fake websites that look exactly like the exact website and use that to collect pins so that they go, you know, like, the, you know, there's always these hacking techniques that come out further and further ahead. And, and it's a, you know, and the thing is, and I, I kind of was ranting about this today. Because, again, I saw stuff about blockchain, how blockchain will help this. The problem is, blockchain only exists, and this is assuming you even know what blockchain does. Blockchain only exists at the point that you are submitting that information through your web browser. The problem is, there are hacks, there are known hacks to do things like uh, listen to your keyboard. We, we know about hacks where people plugged something into an outlet near a computer and were able to capture what was typed on the keyboard based on voltage spikes on the electrical signal on the same circuit, right? So you've got your keyboard to your computer. You've got your browser that, that of course, is interpreting information. We know that you can change what is displayed for somebody on the screen using things in the browser. Like, there's all these pieces that no matter how good your encryption is, no matter how good your system is for, for grabbing information along the way, there are vulnerabilities that exist before you get to the point where you are submitting a ballot. Mm -hmm. And and this is, this is really, a, a as you said, a test case. Right. So now, the allegations of what, ha what went on here for the UCP leadership race couldn't really be more simple. Now, the, I need to restate again. These are just allegations. I'm not making them. I'm just repeating them and summing them up. So this is the suggestion of what has happened. The suggestion is that a leadership candidate buys memberships in bulk for people. So sends folks door to door and just says, hey, I'm signing you up. Don't worry about paying me. It's handled. I just need your which name. Is, which is legal to do in Alberta. Right. Absolutely. So I just need your name and some of your information. So they write down some of the information. Important here is either by circumstance or purposely, they leave the email space blank. Right. And the, the allegation has been that they were targeting specific communities where they were likely to find people without emails. Um, but irrespective of that, the email space is blank on this sign-up form. So then they take these forms back 
to a centralized location and they identify the ones that have no registered email and they create an email address for that person. They, they register an email address and it's not difficult to set up an email server. You did it for me in, in one of my uh, campaigns. So it's, right. it's a pretty simple process if you have somebody who knows what they're doing. So they set up these email servers or they use something like Gmail or Hotmail or anything else that's free and they register an email address ostensibly in the name of this person who has no idea this is happening. Now, the pin that that person is going to need to vote in the leadership race is sent to this email address that they don't know they have. But the leadership campaign that set it up does know that email address exists, checks that email address, gets that pin, and casts a vote in the name of that person who has received nothing from the party, did not even know that they were eligible to vote, all they got was a knock on their door, and that leadership campaign basically got a name that they could pretend to be that person and cast a vote in favor of their candidate. That is, at its basest form, what has been suggested. Right. And and so the, where, where we're seeing in the, the article, people are saying that they had not cast their ballot. They are saying that they did not go on and vote in the election on the system. Um, now there is a degree of people sometimes do forget that they did things. And certainly I seem to be more and more in that camp. But I think, I think the thing is that, that now people are, are looking at is this has now cast doubt into the legitimacy of every ballot in that leadership race. Maybe not enough of the ballots to, to have made a difference, but it does question legitimacy of some of them. Right. And again, it also speaks to integrity right now. I mean, between you, me and the wall, I don't care who wins these party leadership races unless it's a party I support. It's a private club. Elect whoever you want to be the leader. It doesn't really affect me. But now that we're at a point in the election cycle where it just might affect me, a lot of people are looking and they're not necessarily going, oh, Jason Kenney committed a crime. Because again, to be clear, there's no proof that Jason Kenney did anything and there won't be proof whether or not he did it. Um, right. So uh, the fact that people are saying, well, Jason Kenney's going to go to jail, absolutely preposterous. No, he is not. But it does raise the question, if the candidate knew, or even if he didn't know, if the people around him knew, and if they're willing to potentially play these sorts of dirty tricks in order to win, what else are they willing to do in the name of uh, winning something politically? What shortcuts are they willing to take? What gray areas are they willing to go into? And that's the kind of question that you don't really want the voters asking about your party a week before they cast their ballots. And, and now... Last election, how many ballots were cast? About 1.5 million? I, that sounds about correctly. right. Yeah, it was about 54% of the, of the electorate. So right now, 400,000 people have cast their ballots. So in terms of of a percentage of, of you know what was cast last time, I mean, we've already got a quarter of the votes in, if you wanted to count it that way. So mm -hmm. 
you know, it's it's the type of thing where they'll push on it, um, but I don't doubt you'll see much new unless something comes out of an application. Okay. So, Kirk, while you were gone, we were on Bozo Eruption Watch, and you would not believe how many people on Twitter, on Facebook, just generally, uh, were talking about Bozo Eruptions. It was on the Adler show. Um, Charles Adler was interviewing Jason Kenny about Bozo Eruptions. The term Bozo Eruptions seems to be everywhere. Tell me, have you seen a lot of Bozo Eruptions lately? So, you know, it, uh, you and I were talking about this before. Um, the, the term Bozo Eruptions originally seemed to be around you know, comments that were made during the election campaign by candidates. And certainly there have been a number of those, but a lot of, a lot of times I'm seeing a lot of bozo eruptions that are things that, you know, a candidate wrote like three years ago on a Facebook comment, um, which, you know, is legitimate and, and doesn't, doesn't, uh, doesn't change, you know, that they said it. It's just, you know, it, it's kind of funny to call it an eruption when really it, uh, you know, more of a, a legacy idiocy. Um, but there have been some, some, some things said, and, and even, you know, even today, looking at Twitter, there's, uh, I saw something about, about mental health that made me shake my head. So, you know, it's happening, but it, it's not happening the same way it did, you know, we talk about Huntsberger and Leach a lot, but like with them, or with, um, with John Beck back in, in uh, when the reform party was trying to expand out out east and, and john back in toronto or uh, you know, the former mayor of toronto when he talked about the uh, being cooked alive in uh in boiling water in africa like like those to me feel like bozo eruptions right like mm -hmm. something said at a press conference at a at a rally that all of a sudden everybody kind of goes i'm sorry what did you just say so, so I I do find that the fact that we're now classifying everything as a bozo eruption is is kind of kind of counter to to what I think the term originally was. Right. Well, I mean, taking that to its extreme, I have seen things referred to as bozo eruptions that date back thirty five years. I mean, I saw somebody referring to Jason Kenney's time in San Francisco, um, where he advocated for the. Um, uh, lifting of a law that allowed uh, same-sex partners to visit each other in the hospitals as a bozo eruption. And it happened more than 30 years ago. Now, is it an important thing that should be discussed? That's up to individuals. I happen to think it is, but I'm not going to tell anybody else what to think. However, um, I, I also saw somebody say, well, Anne McGrath, a uh, new Democratic candidate here in Calgary, um, was uh, a member of the Communist Party. In 1984, that's a bozo eruption. And I'm going, in 1984? That's not a bozo eruption. That's something that happened a generation and a half ago. I mean, 1984 is Pac-Man. We've got to move on. Um, if you, and, and the thing that kills me about that is the people who are making the biggest deal about her, her time as a, as a communist, as a young woman, is that these are often the same people who are saying that what Jason did in San Francisco doesn't matter because it was so long ago. Well, you can't have it both ways, can you? I mean, if if something that happened 30 years ago is not relevant when it's your guy, you can't try to make it relevant when it was the other person's guy. It's either consistent or it's not, right? But but isn't isn't that the politics that we've seen over the last few years anyways? Right? Like 
how many times have I seen somebody saying, oh, a UCP candidate said this, and the response is, yeah, but an NDP candidate said that. Don't they call and, that whataboutism? Yeah, it, well, it's, you know, in the end, you you are perfectly allowed to admonish people in opposite parties, as well as your own, for doing stupid things. But, you know, this this idea that you ignore your own issues in in lieu of of attacking the others it's disingen disingenuous at best and and it's it's not helping the situation at all and the other thing is it seems like quite often when people are accusing people of, of other things um that's when that's when you know people start to look deeper into your past for making the accusation and all of a sudden they find something about you and you're like oh but you know that's that was happened a long time ago Right. Blah, 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 blah. Because it, because it's projection, right? To to use the uh, psychologist term, probably wildly incorrectly, and our friend Kim will let me know if I just did that. But uh, you know, I'm talking about you cheating on your wife, so people are going to start looking at me and the way I've carried on my relationships. Um, and this whataboutism is is something that we see in constantly on all levels of politics now. People are talking about Joe Biden. And the fact that he massaged somebody's shoulders in the same way they're talking about Donald Trump and the things he's alleged to have done. They're not necessarily on the same level. And if you're making the argument that they are, then you really need to take a close look at why you're making that argument. Because anybody who's being rational can see that sometimes people on your side do bad things. And if you're not willing to call them out on those bad things... What you're doing is you're tacitly endorsing that behavior or you're saying that doesn't matter as long as you can help me win. And to be honest, and, and you missed this while you were away, this is the point that Charles Adler was making when he was raking Jason Kenney over the coals on live radio last week. He was saying you have an opportunity to cut this candidate loose who has said some truly heinous things. And the fact that you're not doing it tells me that you're more interested in winning than you are in doing the right thing. So I'm giving you a chance right now to do the right thing. And he gave him multiple chances and he didn't do it. And some people say that's a huge deal and that speaks to Jason Kenney's character. Some people say it doesn't matter at all and it's just Charles Adler trying to get ratings. But... You can't then say, well, it's not a big deal, and then turn around and be upset at the NDP for, for doing something. Y you have to be morally consistent, or you lose all moral authority, don't you? I'd like to think so, but, but it seems that politics has gone another way. But, but interesting about Charles Adler's show, I mean, uh, definitely when I, when I came back and started to look at all, all of the Twitters and, and all of that, it... Um, it certainly seemed to me like, uh, as an outside observer, kind of almost seeing what the election looked like prior to Adler and post-Adler, I feel like Adler made a significant difference. Like, I, I feel like people actually latched on to that. Yeah, well, I mean, in terms of conservative voices on Canadian talk radio, or at least on talk radio that's broadcast in Alberta, uh, Charles Adler is one of the big voices, right? There's Charles Adler and there's Danielle Smith, and that's about it. I mean, Dave Rutherford. No, no, no. no. I'm, I'm, lo I'm looking at Twitter, and and I, I swear everybody on Twitter is saying that 
Charles Edler is an NDP hack. Isn't isn't that true, Joey? Well, if it's on Twitter, it must be true. I stand corrected. I think he was a conservative voice until he was a, until that interview, and then all of a sudden he chill. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, uh, the reality is, if you're not a mindless, uh, soulless minion of orthodoxy, you're just not good enough for some people. I mean, after all, we are at war, and the NDP are our sworn enemy, and the enemy of all true Albertans. So, if you are not 100% on board with what we're about to do, you're clearly the enemy. Um, who talks in absolutes like that? Um, uh, oh, we are on episode six. We are on episode um, six. If you're not if you're not with me, you're against me. I'll have to look that up. I'm not a big enough nerd. Luckily, I have the high ground. Um, <laughs> the, the thing is, I'm seeing it on both sides, too. I, I mean, I'm definitely seeing it more from UCP. Now, whether that's just more bots or whatever, who knows? But but it, it is happening on both sides. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, to be completely fair, let's not forget we have two... NDP MLAs. Um, we're not sure who they are, so we don't know if they're running for re-election, and we're not going to be told, right? It's very clear at this point this information is not going to come out. But um, two NDP MLAs in the last legislature were accused of sexual misconduct, and we're not talking about making a comment to somebody. We're talking about actual physical contact misconduct. Um, right. And, and the party investigated, and they found that this happened, and it was a very real problem. And I'm familiar with at least one of these circumstances um, uh, of what happened. I don't know names, but I can tell you that this was some real stuff, and we're not being told who it is. So if the NDP are not willing to call out their own people and name names... Um, and, and the defense that they're using, the reason why they're not doing that is to protect the identities of the complainants. One of the complainants' identities uh, can no longer be protected. Um, I'm not right. going to say more on that. It's just, it's not possible. So it's, it's a convenient excuse. Uh, maybe, maybe it's a, an excuse that is coming from their heart, and they are really, that is their primary concern. But irrespective of what their concerns are, the reality of the fact is they had two MLAs who were found to have done some truly heinous stuff. And you cannot pretend that you are Lily White and point your finger at the United Conservatives and say, these guys are awful, and these guys don't care about women, and these guys don't care about protecting women's autonomy over their own bodies. When you've got people in your own party that you know about, but you won't tell us who they are, and you're potentially asking tens of thousands of Albertans to send that person back to the legislature. It just reeks of hypocrisy. And and I think that's what this this whole campaign has been: is hypocrisy after hypocrisy, where you know some of these other parties, the parties who could potentially hold the balance of power, um, have been putting up policy. So, Joey, there was an incident that was captured uh, earlier today mm -hmm. um, that I think presents a really good opportunity to talk about uh, what legislation and what protections there are for voters. Okay. Um, so so there was a video uh, posted by an Alberta party candidate mm -hmm. who uh, had been, it looks like he'd been out door knocking and met this renter and the renter wanted a sign. And so they put the sign up and the landlord came out and 
uh, basically said, take this sign off my property. And then there was violence that was largely directed towards us, towards the sign and the wooden stakes that held it in place. Now, I think it, it's really important that that we we really reiterate. I, it's been talked about, but I think it's it's important to get it out on all fronts. Um, that there are kind of two pieces of legislation that deal with election signs. Mm-hmm. So one is uh, destruction of property, right? So vandalizing election signs is actually illegal. So, you know, people doing stuff to sign, like, leave, first of all, leave signs alone. Even if it wasn't illegal, um, democracy is strengthened by people running uh, with different opinions and uh, and presenting different ideas and, and people coming to somewhat of a consensus of what candidate they want. So destroying election signs is just petty, cheap, and juvenile uh, and but it is also, also illegal. illegal yeah but the second part is that there is a piece in the election legislation that actually talks about renters and and i've seen comments about this uh kind of throughout the election where you know people have been asked to take signs down off of their balconies at apartment complexes uh because the apartment complex uh or condo complex or whatever their bylaws prevent them from putting up uh, signage on on their their properties, and of course, a lot of that is for good reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but the election legislation is very clear that a landowner may put in reasonable restrictions as to the size and sometimes even where it can be placed on property. But uh, as a renter, you are allowed to put election signs on the place that you are renting and in terms of, of, you know, condo bylaws or whatever, the, the election act supersedes it. So, right. so for the period of the election, you can put up election signs. Okay. So this really interests me as a, as a renter myself with a fairly large balcony facing a fairly major road in Southeast Calgary. So what you're telling me is that my landlord could not come and say, you have to take down this sign and potentially you have to put up this other candidate's sign instead. Correct. Okay. And this incident, I've seen the incident you're referring to and the landlord destroys this sign on camera. Now, uh, it looked like a four by four sign and I know that those aren't cheap, but they're not thousands of dollars. What's the penalty? Do you know for, for destroying election signage? I don't know, but but of course, you know the the penalty is going to be going to be in terms of of kind of normal law destruction of property type type thing, right? Because mm-hmm. it's not like the candidate is going to take the individual into small claims, you know, civil court mm-hmm. to to go after them for that. Because as you said, I mean, a four by four sign, you know, you might be talking, you know, I, I don't even know what the going price is, but let's say fifty bucks. Right. Um, you know, it's it's not a cheap sign, but it's not the type of thing that you're even going to bother going to court about. Um, but yeah, I I don't know what the actual, you know, destruction of property uh, potential is, but but it's probably actually quite high. What the potential is, what a judge is going to give you is is probably nowhere close to the maximum. Right. But I mean, let's be clear. There there are two things to take away from this segment. Number one is. Don't destroy or deface an election sign. Just don't. 
It's a dick move and it's against the law. Number two, if you destroy an election sign, don't do it on camera. <laughs> okay, Kirk, so the last thing I want to talk about, and probably the most important, as we're just a few days away from, from the polls closing here, is uh, a recent um, projection done by 338, which is a, a polling aggregator, but they also break things down into a very local level. Um, because of course you can look at uh, you can look at provincial polling numbers and say, well, the Freedom Conservatives only have two percent support in the province. Well, that's great. Two percent support means they're probably not going to win a seat. But it could be that they have forty percent support in Derek Fildebrand's riding, in which case they're probably going to win the seat. So uh, the the provincial numbers are not the be all and end all of polling, and they came out with some really interesting projections today that I know you've been looking at. Uh, what uh, what are they saying? So so I, I think it's important to to talk about. So this is using statistical models to project um, to project what the what the seats are going to look like based on a uh, number of polls, especially looking at regionality like that. So they're they're basically breaking it down by region. Um, so the regions that they have are Calgary, Edmonton, Northern Alberta, and Southern Alberta. They break down how many seats that they figure. Each party is going to get so on and so forth so what it is showing right now is that the UCP uh, right now is uh, very very likely which you know let's let's face it that's you know that's kind of where we've been at for a while um, now the thing is the the potential exists for you or for the NDP to form uh, majority uh, based on the projection. If you know, kind of that margin of error kind of goes in their favor, right? And, mm -hmm. and so, so there is opportunity to to get some seats that way, you know. And then what, after that, the Alberta Party seems to be ahead in general. Uh, then the Liberals, the Freedom Conservative, and yeah. Okay. Now, when you start to look uh, more regional, it becomes really interesting. So, uh, you know, in in for example, Calgary, uh, it's a relatively close race, but with the UCP definitely ahead, right? But if you look at say Edmonton, it's obviously the the opposite. Now, if we if we actually look at seat projection, which is what what kind of the the crux of three thirty eight doing they're basically saying look the ucp for the entire province should get 59 seats plus or minus 19 the ndp is slated for 27 plus or minus 19. so i mean that's a pr pretty clear victory for the ucp mm -hmm. but you know if they if the ndp get their 19 and the ucp lose the 19 then it's clearly an NDP win. Right. So, you know, that that's kind of that's kind of where that's at. Um, you know, looking at say Edmonton, um, you know, NDP is supposed to have seventeen and a half seats plus or minus two and a half. Uh UCP is supposed to have two and a half plus or minus two point eight. Like so so effectively they're they're at potentially zero. And right. and NDP taking it. Calgary, um, 
even though the popular vote is is relatively close, the seat projection is showing that you know even if the NDP kind of got get all of theirs, they're still to some degree going to be close to the number of seats the UCP will get. I don't think that's any surprise to anybody. Um, but yeah, the you, NDP right now is showing six and a half seats in the 26 districts. In, but, um, 338 falls Calgary. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of room for wriggling there, uh, especially when you uh, start to really break things down by the individual ridings. I mean, looking at Edmonton, say, you've got some areas where um, things are not nearly as close as you would think when you're looking at the provincial uh, provincial numbers, right? Um, and then other areas where you've got potential spoilers. I mean, I'm looking at Edmonton McClung right now, um, it's leaning NDP, um, but Stephen Mandel is running in that riding. So um, what is ultimately going to happen? We don't know. Would Stephen Mandel potentially siphon off enough votes that the Conservative would win? Or will Mandel put on a full court press in the last few days and win? Um, and, and suddenly he's he's in a bit of a you know rainmaker seat. Um, it's, it's hard to say without really getting down into the nitty gritty. I want to talk about Calgary though, because despite the fact that the numbers tend to bear out that Calgary is going to be almost completely, uh, UCP, when you look on a riding by riding basis, there is still a lot that's up in the air. Now the term that the, uh, the folks at, uh, 338 use is toss up. Um, there's also likely leaning and safe. So Right. What I want to talk about from the most likely to the least likely um, and the the safe seats, the only two safe seats that they identify in Calgary, that they are basically positive will go UCP are Calgary Lougheed and Calgary West. Now, again, it bears repeating. This is according to the polls and what people do <laughs> during the advanced polling and during Election Day is much more important than what they said to somebody on the phone. So right. the fact that I say safe doesn't mean if you're supporting somebody else, you should just stay home. In fact, I, well, I think I think there's also a really important piece to to talk about in that um, the amount of polling data that is available on a poll by poll basis that is public mm-hmm. is very little, right? right? So so there is there is decent enough statistical significance. Uh, when you when you contact a 500 person unbiased sample of individuals within the entire province, mm-hmm. now with 87 ridings, if if it were to be perfectly equally distributed among the ridings, you know you're talking about six seven people per riding. So if six so, of the people you talk to in Calgary Law he'd said I'm with Jason Kenny then you can say, well, that's definitely going UCP because six of the seven said Kenny. But maybe you spoke to the only six in the whole neighborhood who like the guy. So, and and the thing is, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that they're not looking just at, at public polling. Data. I'm sure they're looking at other factors. Um, you know, like, you know, if they look at Calgary, even in general, they're going to have a certain percentage for the Alberta party. But the only one that actually lists the Alberta party on Calgary is, of course, Calgary Elbow. Right. Um, which should not be of any surprise because that's Greg Clark's riding, mm-hmm. um, you know. But, but as we said before, like you know, there are there are some other Alberta Party candidates that are 
relatively strong and and it is possible that that they have enough strength to do it especially if there's there's enough split between different areas and we can we can kind of go by this and i'm i'm sure that they they've used a lot of strong methodology for, for coming up with these mm-hmm. you know the only poll that matters is election absolutely or or however many days it takes to count the extra mm-hmm. for sure so i mean um, you know, just going back to that, then Calgary West and Calgary Lougheed, they identify as being safe seats for the UCP. The likely seats for the UCP are a bit more, there's a bit more of them. There's Calgary Beddington, Calgary Cross, Calgary Edgemont, Calgary Falconridge, Calgary Fish Creek, Calgary Glenmore, Calgary Hayes, um, Calgary McCall, uh, Calgary Northwest, Calgary Shaw, Calgary Southeast, which is Rick Fraser's riding. Um, so that would be a pickup for them. So they've got a lot of likely seats, but then when you get away from the likely into the leaning, well, first let's talk about leaning Alberta party, which is Calgary elbow, right? There's also a leaning NDP seat, which is Calgary Buffalo, um, which is Joe, Joe Cece is running there. The, uh, the finance minister, uh, and there are a couple. And and Joe Cece was, was previously, a city councillor, or at the time alderman, within the city of Calgary, and, mm-hmm. and is quite well known. Absolutely. Now there are a couple other seats that are identified as toss-ups that seem to be leaning slightly towards orange, at least according to the polls, and those are Calgary Curry, um, and Calgary Varsity. So Varsity is a notoriously um, uh, progressive part of town. It's it's a university district. Uh, Calgary Curry as well is uh, is closer to downtown. That's the the constituency that uh, had elected Dave Taylor uh, previously, um, who will go down in history. I think is the first Alberta Party uh, MLA. He crossed there from the Liberals, um, but those are both leaning, uh, or at least not not leaning uh, using the thirty eight terms. Sorry, but they're they're tending a little bit more towards the NDP than anybody else at this point. Um, but we've got these uh, areas that are toss-ups uh, or leaning right the uh calgary foothills is leaning united conservative but that doesn't mean they're a shoe-in by any stretch um and that of course is jim prentice's former writing calgary klein is leaning united conservative uh and calgary acadia is leaning united conservative now it's currently represented um or has been rather by a new democrat brandy Payne, who was the associate minister of health she's not running for re-election um, but it's, it's interesting to see Calgary Acadia. It's, it's not as suburban as it used to be, um, but it's still not in the downtown core. So it's interesting to see that they're not as strong there, uh, in part because large portions of that riding were Jason Kenney's federal seat. So it's, yeah. it's interesting. It's, it's interesting to see kind of how this whole thing breaks down for mm-hmm. sure. But you know, it's, it's only as good as the information that that's supplying it. Mm-hmm. Right, you know, and and people like to harp on polls for for good reason. I I understand that, but as long as they're getting good information, that this holds true. You know, there's there's a few things here that that certainly, you know, they they're probably more right than I am, but I I'm certainly looking at these going, okay, I can see where they're going with that, but you know, like even if you look at the Southern Alberta one. And they call the UCP's uh, riding uh, as safe for mm-hmm. uh, Chestermere Strathmore. 
safe UCP for uh, for Chestermere Strathmore. Mm-hmm. What like what do you, what do you think about that one? Um, I don't know that I would be as confident in calling that one safe. Um, I know that uh, there's one particular bearded gentleman who drives a pickup truck who's very passionately against that interpretation of the writing as being a safe UCP writing. I suppose we'll see. Um, but Derek Fildebrandt was very popular um, and remains very popular. I don't know um, that uh, it's necessarily as safe. But then again, uh, Leela Ahir is also a, a popular MLA, and she is the United Conservative candidate. So it's going to be a bit of a battle of the titans there, and it'll be interesting to see which way it goes. But I, the fact that it's being called as safe, I don't know that I necessarily buy that. Um, but some right. of these, and, and again, that's based on the modeling. Right, right. right. So, so, like, if I look at that exact writing, I mean, they're saying UCP odds of winning greater than ninety nine percent, and that's based on on you know, probability densities and all sorts of fun math stuff that I'm sure we could we could spend hours on if you would let me. Uh, but, no, you know, no, in, Kirk, in the, no, yeah. absolutely not. <laughs> on behalf of all of our listeners, no. <laughs> in the end, you know, there's a certain level of. Um, un- Without perfect information going in, there's, you know, we have to, we have to kind of go here and go and, and ask how accurate some of these are, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, right, I mean, we spend a lot of time crapping on polls, and with good reason, because they should be crapped on. Um, a lot of polls are just inherently lazy, and I'm not saying these people don't know their business, but a lot of them don't know their business, uh, or they do, and it's not what we think it is. Um, some pe- some places only do polls for certain organizations that sort of align with their editorial bias. So it's it's really easy to look at some of these numbers and say, well, I don't know, I don't know about that. And let's keep in mind, three thirty eight, the the uh, website that has these projections, they don't run their own polls. Uh, they're just taking the data that somebody else does and and garbage in, garbage out. So. All of this needs to be taken with a grain of salt. Uh, I don't believe that Calgary Southeast is necessarily as, as far out of reach for Rick Fraser, who served it for two terms. Uh, I don't know that I believe Calgary Pagan is as close as this suggested is. Um, I moderated their forum uh, just last night, and there was a lot of support for the conservative in the room. That's not to say that there was no support for anybody else, but if that room was indicative of the writing, um, it's not necessarily a toss-up, in, in my opinion, anyway. Um, and likewise with some of these other writings, Calgary Bow as a toss-up, uh, maybe, but I don't know. Um, Calgary Mountain View, that one I do believe, because Mountain View is going to be, I, I brought this up earlier, it's going to be one of the most watched results in the whole uh, province, I think. And because of the nature of this, these Vote Anywhere ballots, we might not know for at least a week after the election who actually won it. Because we've got the New Democrats um, Justice Minister, Kathleen Ganley, running there. We've got Jeremy Wong, the pastor of the Chinese uh, Alliance Church, running there. We've got Angela Cocott, a popular former broadcaster, running there. We've got David Kahn, the leader of the Alberta Liberal Party. You know what I know about David Kahn? He's laid pipe. And he's a constitutional lawyer. He's running in Calgary Mountain View. Thana Boonlert 
who is the leader of the Alberta Greens, running there, and Monica Frisch of the uh, Alberta Independence Party, running there. So there are a lot of people running there. There are at least four big names or big party footprints, and they're throwing a lot of money into that riding. I have some good friends and, uh, and, and colleagues who live in Mountain View, and the whole neighborhood is just blossoming with the flowers of democracy, as they call it. Almost every lawn seems to have a sign. So it's going to be a fun one to watch. I'd be very surprised if when we sign off on the 16th of April, we actually know who the MLA elect is for that riding. Okay, so as we get prepared to sign off here for our last broadcast before the polls actually open on the 16th of April, Kirk, this is a big one. Online voting. A great idea or the greatest idea? You know, there's one thing that I didn't do in my, my mini rant before. Right? I'm going to ask people to look up uh, a gentleman by the name of Ron Rivest, uh, R-I-V-E-S-T, and his opinions on online voting. And, and I want you to look up his biography um, because this is probably, well, it's, it's a stronger voice than I can ever give. And, and I, think, I think it would give you really interesting insight into what individuals with, with very good knowledge of uh, computers and cryptography are saying about it. All right. And before we disappear, do you have any parting words of wisdom for candidates in the home stretch for this big campaign? Absolutely. Um, so I am a firm believer that candidates uh, need really good support systems uh, the days after an election. Elections are highly emotional. They require a significant amount of energy. Um, quite often you are dealing with a lot of negative uh, attacks as well as, as trying to, to woo people along the way. Um, you have an echo chamber around you that, that is really pushing this idea that you, know, you have a chance and, and you're going to do really well. And inevitably, on election day... There, there are some ridings in this province where uh, six people are going to lose. And it's really important that every candidate has a support system out there. When, when I run campaigns, I will tell every one of my candidates have a psychologist lined up. Um, it's just worth having somebody to talk because this is a really difficult thing to do. Um, if it were easy, then I'm sure a lot more people would run politically, but but there's a lot of people out there who I'm sure are going, yeah, I would never want to run. But you can imagine the people who are, are under a massive emotional and mental crunch. So for you candidates out there and, and for all of you who are really involved in campaigns, like campaign managers, those type of things, make sure you have a support system for the days after. Because um, as much as we kind of joked about it at the beginning of the show, alcohol is not an appropriate support system. Um, and, and it's really important for your own mental health and for, you know, being able to come back and do more with democracy later. Uh, it's really important to have the support system. Absolutely. And, and I mean, I would ask all of our listeners to keep in mind a lot of really good quality people are going to have their hearts broken next Tuesday night. Um, 
people who want to do good for their community, people who are getting into this for the right reasons, people who in some cases have been chasing this dream for years and this is their chance and they're doing it and they're passionate and they're excited and when the results come back, it's not going to be the result they're hoping for. And I would just ask you, please, if no other time during this campaign, just be kind, be kind. It costs you nothing to be gracious. Um, thank them for running. Thank them for trying to make the community better, even if you don't agree with their policies. The fact that they stepped forward, that they made professional and personal sacrifices, the fact that in some cases they put their families through hell, the fact that some of them haven't seen their kids in three weeks because they've been out knocking on doors every daylight hour. These people deserve our respect, if for no other reason than what they've given up to try and make this province better. So just, just be kind. That's all I'd ask. Okay, so until election night, this will be our final broadcast. Unless something absolutely crazy happens. Which never happens. Until then, uh, please keep an eye on our Twitter feed, which is at Unelectables, or on our Facebook page, which is Unelectables Pod, for announcements about what we're going to be doing on election night and where you can hear us, or possibly even see us if you're that lucky. We are going to keep you in tune. We're going to be retweeting the heck out of a whole bunch of stuff over the course of the next few days. The important thing, folks, get yourself informed and then cast a ballot. Make sure your family's informed and cast a ballot. I am never going to tell you how to vote, but you definitely should if you know what's going on. Don't cast an uninformed ballot. Don't go, well, I'll just vote for the one whose name happens first alphabetically. Don't do that. I hate that. But do, do inform yourself and then go vote for the person who best represents your interests. Until next time, Alberta. I am putting the future of my province in your hands. I know you won't let me down. You never do. The voter is always right. I have been the enlightened savage, Joey Oberhofner. And I'm Kirk Schmidt. And we are the, the Unelectables.
voters found you unelectable. At least they found you unelectable.